Welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. And welcome to the Let's Eat Grandma Career Warrior Podcast, where our goal is not only to help you land your dream job, but to help you live your best life. Well, we have not had an interview episode in such a long time since our last episode with Merrin Roberts Huntley. That's episode 36. It was one of our most popular episodes. So now we're going to bring it back with a new, fresh perspective. We have Jeff Altman, podcaster for No BS Job Search Advice Radio. That is the number one job search podcast on Apple. Um, So I envy this man. He's actually very incredible. He also has an amazing recruiting background, which we will get into in a little bit. But I can't wait to kick it off. Let's launch right into that interview framework with our episode of the Let's See Grandma Career Warrior Podcast. All right, Jeff, how are you doing today? I feel fabulous. <laughs> That's fantastic. I, I just want to hear from you first. How did you gain all that expertise when it came to interviewing? It is such an important skill. You know, I started doing recruiting back in the Stone Ages, not quite when dinosaurs roamed the earth, but it was 1972 uh, when I first got into search. And, you know, I'm a guy who's trying to be effective at it. And please don't hold it against me that I was a recruiter. Honest, I wasn't a bad one. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, you'll see lots of endorsements and recommendations from people from when I did search. And we all know everyone hates recruiters. I don't hate you. That's okay. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. (laughs) And I started to pay attention to what my clients were telling me and a lot of the things that job hunters I was representing were telling me as part of the debrief after the interview. And I start to think of how could we do it better than just simply look at the job description and uh, uh, win one for the Gipper so that I earn a fee. Sure. Because <laughs> back in 1972, headhunting wasn't much different than that. So and some of you will say it's not much different than that now, but I'm out of that business. I'll just say that for me, I start to think of ways where I could help people get across the finish line. And in doing that, I start to break down how someone could do it better, how they could do it differently, and uh, advantage themselves in the search. Sure. And, and that's where I start to evolve the framework. And let me ask you, it's, uh, interviewing is one piece of the puzzle, obviously. there's We're a resume service. We're oftentimes focused on the people, the people who have a tough time with their resumes. But how often would you say it's the interview that is stopping people from landing that dream job? You know, it comes down to, you know, when you look at how things break down, if someone isn't getting interviews, usually it's the resume that's the problem. Contact Chris. From that point on, once you're getting the invitation, if you can't get past the screener, you don't do phone interviews well. If you're getting past them to the next step, there's a disconnect either with the person who's there to evaluate your skills or with the hiring manager. And to me, fundamentally, what a firm is looking for is skills competence, and they want to trust the person that they hire. So there's an emotional component to it that most job hunters don't really address in the interview, with the result being they think that there's a recitation of facts. You know, you know I just have to recite this stuff and demonstrate to them that I know it. That's, sure. a, that's enough to get hired. Uh, so to me, once it's past the resume, once you're, you're starting the conversations, 70%, 72%, something like that can be sure. broken down to interview skills. 
Exactly. It's, it's such a funny thing. We'll, we'll survey everyone who comes to our service and we'll ask them the questions. How do you, how confident do you feel on a scale of one to five for interviewing? Um, most of them actually rated themselves higher. And this is like three's average. Most people rated themselves above average, um, which I'm a little bit skeptical when it comes to that because, you know, sometimes people still have a tough time getting jobs. And if you really truly are an above average interviewer, then you would think you're going to definitely land the job. But I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit on the job seeker side. I'll ask you why, like, why should I even spend any time on this stuff? Like interviewing, I know what I've done in my career. I'm a confident professional. Why should I even practice or work on an interview? The skills needed to find a job are different than those needed to do a job. And most job hunters know what they do and they can recite the facts, but there's more to getting higher than just that. And, you know, one of the things I always tell people that I coach is that great athletes will practice. Like LeBron practices seven days a week during season. And great entertainers all rehearse. And job hunters tend to go on interviews, and the first time the words ever come out of their mouth is when they're asked the question. And then wonder why they didn't perform well. They've never rehearsed the lines. And the result winds up being... You know, you can wing it at your work, but you don't have the skills to do it on the interview right. a lot of the time. And with rehearsal, you can get across the finish line more um, more regularly. Right. And thus the goal becomes, you know, can you demonstrate your knowledge in a way that the audience will receive it well and believe in you and trust you? Right. It's a fantastic point here. It's you're differentiating between having the skill set or experience or whatever it is you need to convey and communicating that, which I think a lot of people have trouble doing that. And then heck, I've even had trouble communicating certain ideas and concepts and certain mediums and channels um, in the past. Um, that doesn't mean that the skill set wasn't there. So while you're competing against other people, that's the extra. Dimension. Exactly. Yeah. Our last podcast episode on the topic said you're, you're not only just competing against people, but you're competing against the best people. The other, you know, three people that also got filtered out from the hundred or 120. So it's, you, you gotta be competitive. Yeah. And the notion that there might be someone else out there. Okay. That's the extra dimension because even they see four or five people, and many of you have been in situations where they don't hire anyone. They go back sure. out there because no one made them feel like they trust. They could trust that person sure. uh, to be the one for them. Sure. Well, Jeff, I think you've done a you've done a great job so far, really setting up the context and getting people motivated. So let's give some people some confidence in themselves right now and give them the framework for what they need to do to really master that interview here. So um, go ahead and launch into that framework in the best way you can, whether it's introducing it, um, and then I'll, I'll delve deeper. So let me just start off with the premise that interviewing involves theater. You're a performer on the stage. And I want to be clear, when I say performer, I'm not suggesting liar. The idea is to, to deliver the lines in a way that the audience will receive it well. So that's preface number one. Sure. Preface number two is most job descriptions, if you have one, are about 80% accurate. And you have to stop and think for, your, for yourselves, how are most job... How are most job descriptions created? Let me answer that question. You're the perfect one to answer that question. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> Someone gives notice. 
the hiring manager now has to replace someone, right? They call HR or they call their manager for final authorization. And the conversation goes like this. Hey, Chris just gave notice. Do you have that job description we used to hire him? Could you get it out to your sources? Could you get it added up on LinkedIn or Indeed? And no one has ever updated it. And there's a problem with that because in their minds, there are always additional things that they've added in, removed from it. So you're not necessarily operating with the the best information. You got most of it. You got a good part of it. But it's not really for now. It was good for when they hired Chris. So my premise is, is when you get the first phone call or you're doing the in-person interview, as soon as the phone rings and you recognize it as a recruiter, or as soon as the conversation is about to start in person, it starts off with, hey, thanks so much for making time to reach out to me. Now, let's work with the assumption that's a screener making the phone call. Now, they introduce themselves. I'm from such and such firm. Hey, thanks so much for reaching out to me. You know, if you responded to an ad, I recall the position description, or if it was referred by a recruiter, you know, uh, Jeff made mention of the description to me. It seemed interesting, but I wanted to get your take on the role. Could you tell me about the job as you see it and what I can do to help? Now, that accomplishes a couple of different things. Number one is everyone's distracted these days, right? So you're pulling them into the conversation. So they now have to tell you what they're looking for. But more importantly, they're either confirming what's in the job description you have in front of you, or what they're doing is cleaning up some of the little details or nuances that are top of mind for them that they're going to want to screen you for. Okay. And so so this is, Jeff, this is step one when you find out that you just got past the, the screening process. Everyone should do. This could be the screener uh, over the phone. It could be the, you know, the in-person interview. Doesn't matter whether it's with the hiring manager or with a screener. It's always thanking them Got for making time to to meet with you. And you know, if it's an in-person interview, you ask this question as you're lowering your butt into the chair, <laughs> <laughs> just that you're that last two inches of of you know reaching the seat. Yeah. You want to start off the conversation before they have a chance to do it. Now, okay. just to be clear, what often happens is one of a couple of things. Number one is they tell you about the job. That's great. Number two is they, they'll say, eh, we'll get to that later. And you've learned something about them. Doesn't mean you shouldn't pay attention, but you've learned that they like to play things close to the vest and they're not gonna necessarily be forthcoming with you at any point during your interview cycle. I think that's useful to know about because, you know, part of what I know I coach people about is how you connect with the interviewer. You're going to be dealing with a detached individual throughout this who's just going to be there like with check boxes. Okay. They've got mental check boxes. That's all they care about. And the third thing is it really, you know, particularly important. It just really comes down to, you know, they're cold fish. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're boring, dull, they're going to withhold. So be it. But the idea is you get them to tell you what it is that they're looking for today. So you're on the same page with them. It's, it, that is such a fantastic strategy. I think a lot of people forget um, the most important thing. And we learned this in marketing. We learned this in sales. It's the concept of being targeted and 
listening to people and, you know, trying to put yourself in the perspective of their needs and not just talking about me, me, me. It's more me fitting. How do I fit with you? So um, I think, to be honest, I've never thought of that just being over and asking them, you know, what are you looking for? That kind of thing. But I can see how that's a really effective strategy. That's fantastic. So you ask them what they're looking for. They give you your answer, hopefully. Um, what's next? Well, I, I just want to finish one detail, sure. which is, and if you say, so what are you looking for? It's not quite as smooth and it doesn't present you as well as if you use my language. Especially if you say in my so, voice, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? <laughs> That's my old area in New York where we <laughs> talk that way. But, but normally from there, the conversation is going to segue into them and their habitual opening question of uh, tell me about yourself and what you've been doing professionally or walk me through your background, something along those lines. Okay. And here's where this really starts to parlay nicely. You give them a 20-second overview of your background. For example, I've been in the field for the last 15, 17 years. Uh, and most recently, I've been working for so-and-so where I've done this and that and this and that. You know, this is all pretty typical stuff. You take 15 to 20 seconds giving them an overview of your background. And then from there, you use a bridge phrase that's going to pull them into the conversation. And the phrase is, but what's probably most relevant about my background for this position is my experience with, and then you start feeding back to them your experience that relates to what it is they just told you they were looking for. Incredible. So you're, yeah. you, you're not making them work for it, as so many job hunters do. Because most really, you know, they talk about what they've done, which is okay. But... You want to talk about what you've done that matters, at least matters to this hiring manager, to this screener, so that you're going to find if you use that bridge phrase, you're going to pull them in. You're going to hear. You're going to notice this little Wookie response uh, <laughs> with their ears per perking up at the next thing you say because yep. you're making it easy for them to know how your background fits. All together between the opening and the and the real answer a minute to a minute 15 tops so you're making this interactive and they're not starting to think about lunch their next meeting what's okay. waiting for them on their desk things along those lines and so, so that's specifically for the the first question there but after that you can go longer because that's a question i often get is how long should your answers be um, we did a mock interview power hour the other month and um, that's a question that comes up a lot man well, I, I tend to think of in any first conversation, you give them the equivalent of an outline so that they can deep dive into the portions of the subcategories. Remember outlines? You know, yeah. There are always <laughs> these subheadings underneath it. Yeah. And that way they can dig in as they want to. But what you've done in a minute to a minute 15 is confirm why it is you got the interview. And you've told them how your background fits what they're looking for. Then it's for them to confirm right? Perfect. All right. So now I'm starting to get a good sense of how the interview should shape up, especially in the beginning. What happens in the meat of that interview here? What's next for the framework? Well, normally what happens is they're going to start to want to explore what your background is and what your experiences are along those lines, which leads to story time. Stories mm -hmm. are not just for bedtime, folks. They're for interviewing because we tend to all learn through stories. And thus, 
as many of you have probably heard of the star format. I tend to think of that as being uh, for junior people, that's situation or task action result. result to me, that, yeah. that that's a staffer uh, answer. If you're a more experienced individual, I offer two options. One is SOAR, which is not radically different, situation, objective, action, result. And the result should have a metric to it. Okay, that, that's great. And I've, I've never heard this before. Situation, objective, action. Result, result in terms of money saved, money earned, percentage improvement worked into that. Remember, in all stories, the hero or heroine lives happily ever after. So it's how you rode in on that horse and rescued the situation. So a sample story was might be something along the lines of, you know, I took over a project from someone who quit relatively suddenly. They were already two months behind. They saw the handwriting on the wall for them. Okay. They, they needed to leave. Okay. I had to get it back on time quickly because we only had six more weeks to go before we delivered this thing. And we we're already way behind. So what I did, notice that we're onto the action already. Uh, what I did was met with the different people in the user population, met with my team, understood where we were, understood what their needs and concerns were, got everyone's buy-in. And then we worked like maniacs to get this done. I delivered it three days early so we had adequate time to fill in the blank. And the result was we had people who were overjoyed writing recommendations for me, talking to my, you know, and I saved you know, X number of dollars of what, over what they feared might happen. And the project ultimately helped the firm make Y number of dollars. That's a, that's a condensed version, but I probably did in about a minute. Perfect. That's amazing. And um, I'm going to ask you to flip the script here, put me on the spot, um, ask me a specific question about any sort of project I guess you'd be hiring me for, and then I'll have you rate my answer. So tell me about a resume you had to construct for someone in a field for a field that you never did before. Oh, never did this resume before. So the situation was this. I was writing a resume in 2015 for a network security um, engineer. Um, so not only was this a resume um, that I had never written for, it was a position that the client had never been in in the past. So he was a career transitioner. And as we all know, being a career transitioner can be very, um, very tough if you haven't had the experience. So what I did in order to write the best resume possible was I had to dive really deep into his position and what he would be doing on a daily basis. So I put myself in his shoes and, but not, not only that, but in the shoes of the person hiring him. So I looked very closely at the job postings. Um, I printed out every single one of the job postings. I circled specific keywords that I think recruiters would have used to filter the person out. And I met with him on the phone to discuss the role. So I'm piecing together everything that would be necessary to come up with the best resume possible. Um, it's always a really important process within our resume service to have a rough draft, final draft situation. So I sent him a rough draft for review. He looked at it very closely and um, 
it was a great client. I'm not going to take all the credit here, uh, but he gave some really good feedback that allowed me to write the best resume possible. The person actually ended up getting interviews for the position she was applying for, and October of that year, he um, wrote me back an email, very excited, letting me know that he landed the dream job, and he increased his salary like 3x because this was a huge game changer of a position for him. Jeff, what do you think? How was that? I'm going to ask the guy in the front row in the white shirt, short <laughs> sleeve shirt, put put your hand up for a number as to how you would rate it. I have mine already picked behind my back. One to ten. Ten is fantastic. No. One is, oh, God, awful. Honest answer. Seven. Seven. Okay. Five. Five. That's how okay. I ranked it. Great. We need, we need as much uh, critique as possible, so let's hear it. Jeff, Jeff's tougher than, than you. I th- thank you for the seven, by the way. That makes me feel good. But Jeff, rip into me. Let me know. Part of it was you were unprepared. 100%. And it, <laughs> and it completely came through. Sure. And you were kind of fumbling around for your answer rather than crisply telling it. Remember, from the employer's perspective, they're trying to find someone who you know, inspires confidence that they're the solution. Mm-hmm. That's the gut feeling you're trying to generate from them. They trust you. And the more you fumble around, the more reluctant they are to surrender their hearts to you. And thus, as you're piecing it out, the message I got was this guy's unsure of himself. Here it is, a classic story that's important to him and his success, and he can't roll it off you know, his, his tongue easily. And it went long. Okay. How, how long was that? I, I was in a pod warp zone. Do you think it was like 30 seconds too long? Yes. It was a sleeper story, the way you told it. There was no inflection to your voice. You recited facts to me. You didn't sell it. I, so what I got so far was too long, uh, fumbly, didn't sell it. If I can go and rehearse that answer, what would I specifically look for to make sure I have the most crisp, concise answer? A minute to a minute 15 is the target time. And for anyone, I always tell you, have three stories prepared for the interview that you're going on based upon the job description you have. And most of you are smart enough that you can adapt your story to help tie the bow with the interviewer for how your background fits what it is they told you they're looking for, right? Perfect. So I'm going to invite you to think on your feet and make it obvious to them. So in your story, it might be, wow, I'm so glad you asked that. There was this guy who came to me years ago, like four or five years ago. You know, I was a, a resume writer. I'd never done something for someone in the security space. And here's a guy who's doing a career transition into you know, cybersecurity. Yes. So I've got to learn how it is the resume needs to be constructed to help him get a job. So I started to look at, so now we're up to the action phase, and I've done that in about 20 seconds. So I started to look at different resumes, different job descriptions to understand the language there so I can make sure it was keyword rich and thus attract recruiters to them. And constructed this resume within four days. I really put in so much effort. Right, right. And when this guy got his job, he circled back to me to tell me that as soon as he put that resume out there, 
he started to get emails from recruiters. He started to get email responses. Suddenly, the volume of activity got went through the roof. And he started to get interviews within a week to 10 days after putting the resume out there. And lo and behold, Hosanna, he got hired <laughs> <laughs> with relatively few problems too. So I did that in about a minute. And also I sold it with my voice. Perfect. And that's a really good point. Um, I've never actually articulated that answer before. So you're just, you're proving how important it is to practice something in order to get some, to get an answer that's concise. Meanwhile, I, I did think I was a seven. So, but Jeff here, he's the one with all the experience. So he can tell me that I do have room for improvement. So that I really do appreciate. Well, perfect. I want to make sure we have enough time here to, to get some Q and a from the audience, but how do we tie this all together? Ah, the questions at the end, because you know they're invariably going to ask questions. Yes. Now, or, or want to invite you to ask questions. And if if you followed my advice and asked about the job at the beginning, you can't ask about it at the end. <laughs> so what you can do is ask a clarifying question. A clarifying question is something like, they told you about the job. and But you notice that they were asking you questions that were a little bit different than the way they described it. So, for example, using the computer security model, you, know, you describe the role as you know, providing security for this organization and some of the challenges that you're facing. But I noticed you start to dive into this slightly different direction of, of uh, you know, uh, systems assurance. And I'm curious how that fits in with your expectations for the role. So that's a clarifying question. The next one is a throwaway question. It's designed to set up the one that follows. It's also going to make them feel good that you're going to ask stuff that they can answer. Let's say you hire me and I come on board. What are your expectations of me for the first 30, 60, 90 days? Now, you'll find they all say the same thing. We're going to want you to get acclimated, get to know everyone, fit into the environment, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, onboarding and helping you feel comfortable. And they all know how to answer that one. The next one is the important one. Let's say I come on board and it's a year from now and you are thrilled with the decision you made to hire me. What would I have accomplished during that year that would make you think that way? And what you're learning from that is how are they going to measure you for success? And every once in a while, you discover their expectations are insane. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, and thank you for bringing that up. That's that's something I'd never thought of before or thought to ask. But this is something that I will make sure people know. That's a fantastic question to ask people. And you're also sending the signal that you, you don't just want to do the job and be ordinary. You want to be terrific. So... How are they going to evaluate you? What is success going to look like for you? And that comes out of a story, frankly, from a man who had been a, a client of mine when I was doing search, who took a position as a program manager with another firm and didn't know what he was stepping into and found that the program he was taking over, 80% of the money had been spent, but only 20% of the work had been done. And he was hired to be the fall guy. And he called me up in tears because he was a guy who was very successful every place he'd worked. And the idea he was set up for failure, you know, he, he couldn't fathom it. It's a horrible set of circumstances. So 
it invites them to tell you how they're going to evaluate you and what you're walking into. It's it's such an amazing point you made there because perfect. Two more questions and they're quickies and these are optional, but I think you'll understand it's their value. The first one, the first one is, well, could you give me a sense of your timeline for next steps? So that just allows you to manage your own expectations about when you're going to hear back. Oh, it's Tuesday. I wouldn't expect to have you hear back anything back until Monday. So if I haven't heard by Wednesday or Thursday, okay, if I follow up, yeah, it's okay. Or they'll just say, wait, we'll get in touch when we're ready. And there's a message in that. And it's useful for you to know. So you're not fooling yourself. Sometimes you'll hear them say, oh, I got one or two more people. We should be done by the, by the weekend. Okay. By the time we get together, it's Monday morning, Monday afternoon, Tuesday. Okay. Cut, cut in there because this is something I know is on everyone's minds. But when you get to the point to where they should have given you an answer and they don't, when is it appropriate to follow up and how long should I wait to follow up? Well, here you're setting it up so you know when to follow up. Right. you know when they should make a decision. Most of the time, people walk off and they don't really know. That's true. No, that is true. Yeah. To me, if you haven't asked the question, no later than the following week. No later than the following week. So if it's Thursday, Tuesday. <laughs> Thursday interview, Tuesday. They've had ample time to figure it out by then. Do you believe in the double follow-up or is that too pushy? What do you mean by the double follow-up? Follow-up, no reply. And uh, is it, it, I mean, I have a different uh, level of assertion and aggressiveness, I guess, based on what it is I'm trying to achieve, right? But, you know, let's say that, you know, they don't respond to me after the first message. Is it worth pursuing after that or are you just Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Because... They're busy, they forget. People need to hear that. Yeah, awesome. Or they never got the voicemail, never picked it up. Your message got garbled. The email got caught by spam. Million possible reasons. You do twice. After twice. Thank you. Okay. I know everyone has that question because I get asked it all the time. And I'm not the interview expert, so that's why I'm talking to you. So, okay, perfect. What's what's the other question, Jeff? This is the final question, uh, and it's, is there anything that you've heard or not heard that gives you reason to hesitate about my being qualified for this role? And I had two guys in the same week ask that question. And you got to remember, a lot of interviewers are not real skilled at it. No one trains people to interview, or it's a rare occasion. So it gives them the opportunity to be forthcoming. For these two guys, they both heard about things that the question wasn't clear about what was being fished for. And they went down one path and the interviewer wanted the other. And they each responded with, oh, when you asked that question about such and such, you were fishing for my background with this. Let me tell you about it. And they went in to clarify it and they got invited back. But that they would not have known that had they not asked that question. So the idea is always one last thing, one last, anything that you've heard or not heard that gives you cause for pause or reason to hesitate about my qualifications for this role. 
Brilliant, Jeff. You've brought so much good insight to the interview. I can't even explain. Um, like I said, it's we did another interview expert. Uh, we had another interview expert speak in our 36th episode, and she was very good. Your your insights were different, and you brought so many good questions to the table that I think people need to be asking during the interview. So before we get some Q&A from the audience here in Austin, I have lightning round here. Just three questions for you. You have to answer very quickly. First question what is the biggest mistake that people make during the interview? Um, they don't spend the time connecting with the interviewer. Interviews are about confirming data and having a relationship with your future boss. And they're trying to evaluate for fit as well, not just skills. Because when firms hire, they look for competence, self-confidence, character, chemistry, Chemistry is what that one's about. Maybe a little charisma that will add up into trust. Perfect. Unless you make that personal connection, you're competing on data, and there are a lot of other competent people out there. Question number two. That's a perfect length, by the way, so let's keep it to that same exact one. All right, so question number two. If you can give a superpower to everyone going through the interview, what would that superpower be? Oh, the ability to read minds. <laughs> okay. To know to know where you're doing well. Okay. And to know where you're not. Now, one quick thing about sure. uh, knowing well. I, I interviewed someone from my show who is a a person who is a, a human uh, a human behavior profiler, and what she observed in her work is people establish a physical baseline. So if you're interviewing in person, you're seeing how they're seated in the chair. If you see them pulling back from you, you're losing them. you got to pull them back in. The other one is if they're pulling in, um, then you got them hooked. So remember to observe the, the salient messages that they're communi- communicating with their behavior, and that's going to advantage you over others. Beautiful. That's excellent. Final question is, what should I wear to the interview? It's, you know, it's going to depend on the firm. What I tell people is understand the culture of the organization. I used to work with a hedge fund client in New York as, as a recruiting client. Uh, and the uh, person who headed up the tech team I was doing search for said, tell them not to wear a tie. Because we make fun of people who wear ties. It tells us that they want to have something that catches their food. <laughs> okay. I, I personally don't like wearing ties too, so that's that's totally fine. But in some firms, yeah. that's what they want. Yes, so you have to understand what Thank the you. culture is that you're meeting with. Perfect. All right. Well, Jeff, you've been such a great guest so far. We have time for a few questions from our audience here in Austin, Texas. So um, what we'll do is we'll ask a few of them to come up and ask their questions here. Matt, if you can go ahead and get that facilitated, that'd be great. Okay, so I'm a recent grad and I basically have no experience except for internship experience. How do you articulate your value when you have such limited work experience? Well, they're ta- thank you. Great question. And I start off with the premise of they're talking to you for a reason. They saw something in your background that allowed them to want to meet with you. They called you. You're meeting with them in person. They spotted something, right? So from there, the idea is to understand what it might be. Again, 
thanks so much for making time to meet with me. No, I recall the position description, but I'm hoping to get your take on the role. Tell me about the job as you see it and what I can do to help. Gives you the target that you're going to be telling them about your background for. Now, part of the way you do it, part of the way you demonstrate your value is how you present it. So if you sound like, um, you know, um, and answer in a way that doesn't make them feel confident, they're going to mentally channel surf. You may be there for more of the interview, but the idea is, remember, they're looking to hire someone that they trust. What is the behavior that you're demonstrating and will it demonstrate trust uh, that you're trustworthy to them. Because if you're a hiring manager, remember, they're going to think of you on the three possible occasions. Number one is you did, you're doing a great job. Number two, you're screwing up. That one they don't want. Number three is review time. That one's value neutral. So everything in how you present it needs to demonstrate that you're low maintenance and they can trust you. That's going to involve practice on your part, practicing answers to the predictable questions that you've probably been asked so far on your interviews. Because by now, if you've had three or four interviews, you're noticing that they're asking you some of the same stuff repeatedly. So be rehearsed and ready to deliver your lines, just like an actor or actress on the stage. Perfect. And time for two or three more questions. So if we can get our second person to come up, that'd be great. Hello. Thank you so much for all the insight. And uh, I really liked what you said in the second lightning round question. Wondering if you have any more tips for monitoring the interviewer or body language tips for like the interviewee or not so much what you say, but how you say it. And uh, also if uh, or two is, if you lose momentum, how do you build it back up again? If you feel like you're losing the audience, one of the things to remember is you can shift in your chair. And this is for face-to-face, obviously. So if you shift in the chair, you may notice, and it has to be a, a pretty dramatic shift. Like you can reseat yourself in the chair uh, in order to, you know, get their attention and pull them in. Uh, you can cough. Something dramatic that allows them to be re-engaged because you're calling their attention while they're drifting off. That makes sense? Yes. Thank you. And there, there's a million little details. Like if you're doing this as a phone interview, uh, you know, a question that, you know, a f- and ending your answer with a question that requires them to engage with you. That makes sense. Is that how you do it? So what that does is it re-engages them in the conversation. No, we do it a little bit differently. How do you do it? Oh, yeah, I've done that before in a previous organization. And thus, you're able to re-engage the audience and pull them back in. Perfect. All right, next question. Uh, yeah, I was more curious about the different ways to follow up because, you know, in the past I've heard you might want to try calling just to kind of get through, maybe even send direct mail or just stick to regular email. Uh, and I was curious about, you know, which medium to choose, I guess, uh, in order to follow up. And to me, the answer is not the phone because no one takes phone calls. 
you know, if you're a hiring manager, you're never taking that call. It's going into voicemail, and thus you can distract them. Now, if you have their mobile number, you can text them, especially if the firm reached out to you via text. If otherwise, you know, if you only have a, a LinkedIn account for them, you message them through LinkedIn. If you have an email address, you email them. To me, you do it in the way that is not intrusive or least intrusive. Uh, because when you make a phone call, you're interrupting them and you have no idea what they're in the middle of. It's kind of like, you know, um, if you know the name Seth Godin, uh, who uh, yeah. is one of the premier marketing people in the world, Seth talks about permission marketing. And we were all trained in marketing that's designed to interrupt. No one wants to be interrupted. You, them. So do it in the casual way that allows them to respond when they're comfortable. And lack of response doesn't mean lack of interest because they, again, it could be caught in spam, could be caught as part of, um, of some, in, they may have been distracted and not responded or seen it. Perfect. These are great questions. Um, so Jeff, you have been such a good guest. I've already said it a million times so far. Um, the way you've given us your answers, how can we follow you? What do you have going on next for Jeff Altman? So let me start off with the ways to, you know, to connect with. Please. Uh, so my website, thebiggamehunter.us. Uh, there are thousands of posts there that you can watch, listen to, or read that'll help you find work, help you hire more effectively, help you manage and lead teams much better. So again, that's thebiggamehunter.us. Great name, by the way. I can't, I can't get over that. It's such a good name. Thank you. I trademarked it for anything employment related. <laughs> sure. Because <laughs> I liked it too. Um, my podcast. No BS Job Search Advice Radio. Subscribe. It's a seven-day-a-week show. So it's short episodes daily. Some days I've been doing a longer show with stuff from my archives of interviews, but it's a great listen uh, because I try and give it in an easy format. And then there's JobSearchTV.com, which is my YouTube channel. It takes you directly there. And, of course, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com forward slash IN forward slash the big game hunter. Mention that, that you're at the meetup today. I just like knowing how I'm connecting with folks. <laughs> you know, for a lot of people who you know who message me, I'm starting to bump up against LinkedIn's limitation of 30,000 first level connections. Oof. That's a level that I aspire to get to, but you know, I'm, I'm happy with my 2.3 thousand. I'll get there eventually. I was member 7653. <laughs> so, woof, amazing. It's, yeah. So, I've been there for a long time. And with a brand like the Big Game Hunter, uh, people were attracted to me. All right, Jeff, anything else before we conclude the show? Yeah. This, as I said earlier, the skills needed to find the job are different, but complement those needed to do the job. You're an expert at what you do. I'm the expert at what I do. <laughs> I help people package themselves well so that the audience receives it well. And I know that's what Chris does with resumes. He wants to make sure that the information communicates well so that they want to talk to someone and not making it hard for them to figure it out. So I hope to have the chance to help you. And uh, again, at a minimum, 
my website will help a lot of you. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Great. Well, this concludes the 80th episode of the Career Warrior podcast. Wow, such great insights. I would highly recommend anyone listen to this before they head out to an interview um, or at least prepare as much as possible for the interview. Um, We've touched upon a lot of really good nuggets of knowledge, the fact that most of us really should be practicing our answers over and over again. And again, the fact that it's a two-way street and that we should be paying attention to the interviewer as much as they are paying attention to us. So if this episode appealed to you, I highly recommend our 36th episode. It's with Marin Roberts-Huntley. We go over the five most common interview questions and how to answer them. And uh, she actually interviewed me full on and asked me these five questions. Is she as harsh on me as Jeff was during this podcast? Who knows? You'll have to find out. But highly recommend you all check out that episode. And we just have so much more good nuggets of knowledge as well. So this concludes our 80th episode. Go out and be warriors. And I'll see you next week. And for more on your job search, make sure to check out letseatgrandma.com. That's where you can find our blog, where we post the podcast show notes and so many more articles that will help you in your job search. You can also check out our resume services if you are interested in getting your resume professionally reworked. And please make sure to show us some love by jumping onto iTunes and leaving us a rating. The support from my fellow warriors will show the world how great this podcast is and help other people in their job search. Pay it forward. Thanks, guys, for being true warriors, and thank you for tuning in. I'll see you next week.